You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Hey, Michael, have you ever had your students interview people about history or other content that you're studying in your class? It's on my list of things that I want to do. I just haven't worked it in yet. I kind of want to know what else is on that list. We should have a list of things Michael hasn't done yet. Bucket oh, God. Teaching bucket list. Episode. It's a really sad list, and it's sad that I actually do have a list of things that I want to do. I just don't have the time to make it. That just depressed me a little bit, Dan. Think optimistically you're going to do all those things, and then they'll be fun. That's right. I th- for the um, for the podcast thing, what I what I really want to do, or for the interview thing, I want to take a like um, a part of history. So like maybe something that recently happened uh, in like the '90s or the 2000s or the aughts. And then look at that from a variety of perspectives from people, from historians, and have students interview them and put it all together in kind of like a This American Life type of podcast. But of course, it won't be This American Life because it'll be this life of someone who lived through this or this, uh, you know, event that took place. Yeah, I understand. It could have a different name. Yeah, I probably should, you know, <laughs> right off of uh no, I I think that sounds really awesome, and I've been thinking about that too a lot since we've again started doing this podcast. It just has kind of opened up some new possibilities, but just if I could go back to my government classroom, you know, having students do interviews about the election and people's understandings of key issues in the election would be really fun, or to U.S. history classes and having students interview grandparents or community members about historical events and maybe like several interviews on a single event and piecing those together to, you know, maybe write a blog post where they include the audio as part of the stories, like I think a lot of possibilities with audio. That's it's always interesting because I feel like you can do so much more. Like when we talk about you know doing a research paper, doing like some sort of paper, I feel like there's so much opportunity to do those you know interviews, to do those like audio and video embedded in with the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another th- thing on my list to redesign the research paper to include audio and video. Right, I love those the idea of those multimodal you know, um, research projects now that it's not just a research paper, but it's a research project that, that kind of uses the types of media people are using today. I mean, it just makes sense, right? I mean, it makes sense to do that now. We need to get there. Uh, and I feel like, I mean, it's a very difficult thing to like, you know, process because you have to, you know, figure out how to do it. You need to figure out how to get students to be able to do it, how to edit. Like it's a, it's definitely a different skill, but I feel like it's vital to be like, you know, to be engaged in this new media that we have today. The reason we're, we're talking about this is because... You just on a trip. Yeah, I just went on a trip. I went to um, the uh, Indiana University in Bloomington, and I was invited out there partially because we started this podcast. Um, what? Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? Uh, James D'Amico is a professor at um, Indiana University in, in, in their College of Education, and he had listened to episode 13 on that we did on creating authentic media. And he was interested. What a great that, episode. You're just saying that because it was just the two of us, right? It's your favorite it guest. <laughs> I love myself as a guest. That's your mom's favorite episode also. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, she, she listens to it uh, once a month. 
And so James invited me out to Indiana University to teach a class for students in their Inspire Living Learning Center is what it's called. And we'll put some links in the show notes on that. And it was a really neat experience. Their their Living Learning Center is a really um, neat model. Basically, the students all live in a dorm kind of together. And then they um, have this one credit hour class that talks about issues of education. And most of them are education majors or interested in education. And so it allows them to kind of have a focus beyond just their class. And so I was able to come in and, and do that and do some workshops. But one of my favorite parts was just getting to talk to some of the students. It just felt like what college is supposed to be about. It's not just learning in a classroom, but learning just from talking to other people. Yeah. Wow. I know. It's um, be- that's better than the dorm I had where we just, you know, pretty much act- <laughs> acted like, you know, 18, 19 year olds. And we used to bowl in the hallway uh, with like um, shampoo mm-hmm. bottles. And I actually had a bowling ball because I found it one night and we used to bowl a lot. It was terrible. Yeah. I had but fr- a lot of fun. But anyway, in short, the students at Indiana University are getting a far superior education to what we got, apparently, because they actually um, don't just live in their dorms. They learn in them, too. So um, so <laughs> while I was there, I was able to talk to um, Gabrielle Abaud D'Amico, and she is helping to lead a program um, there where uh, they are called Voices in Time, Education Stories Across Generations. And with that project, students are interviewing people who've had a big role in education, whether they're former teachers themselves or stakeholders in some sense, and they're learning through those, those processes. And so she had a lot of experience and background in that. And so I interviewed her while I was there. So we're going to cut to that interview. And then afterwards, we'll discuss it a little bit. One of the challenges in education is we have a lot of teachers who have a lot of experience and a lot of wisdom, but I think sometimes we forget to ask them what they know and what they've learned and figure out how to apply it to other teachers, younger teachers, novice teachers, pre-service teachers. We've got a guest today who's going to help us think a little bit about some possibilities of what you can do. So you want to introduce yourself and, and tell us a little about your background in education? Yes, I'm Gabrielle Abaud D'Amico, and uh, my background is as former high school and middle school French teacher, and then I studied visual arts education and now teach at Indiana University in the curriculum and instruction department. I teach art education and also with a program called Community of Teachers, which is really about sharing uh, and supporting our teaching journeys as we develop into better educators. So one of the projects that I work on comes out of my interest in folklore, which I also studied in graduate school, to collect stories, and for this specifically stories from educators. It's called Voices in Time, Education Stories Across Generations. And in this project, students, usually first-year students, have been interviewing some exemplary teachers across the state of Indiana, as well as some of our local community leaders in education, whether they're retired university professors or civic leaders who have dealt with education issues over the years. I'm finding this project a wonderful way to blend my interests in education, folklore, and even the arts, because there is a creative component to collecting stories, editing them, and finding ways to present them. Can you tell me a little bit more about folklore and kind of folklore tradition, how that helps you understand how to capture educators' stories? Yes. Well, I learned so much about qualitative research by immersing myself in folklore studies, which really depends on the interview. 
as the most compelling information gathering technique. Mm -hmm. And so that really meshed well with my own interest in, you know, just learning my own family's history, for example, my interest in older people in general. I've just always enjoyed gathering stories. So in folklore, there are many components to the field of folklore, but I honed in on the one that relates the most to the visual arts, so material culture. And I was particularly interested in vernacular architecture. Mm -hmm. But whatever um, focus I were maybe to choose in folklore, I think the common element is the speaking with people to get your information. So I did case studies of women artists in the Midwest who talked about their studios as educational spaces. And I went and videotaped them in their studios and had extensive conversations with them. And so folklore really allowed me to realize that this is a completely valid way of collecting Mm -hmm. my data and that this is a form of research that's happened for ages. And I really love the idea of an oral tradition of passing information on as well. So all these things are sort of being replicated in this current project we have going. That's awesome. I think that that doesn't always get valued. Like passing stories down generation to generation doesn't always get valued. Maybe it's a Western civilization thing. Mm-hmm. You know? And I know some cultural traditions, it's, it's far more highly valued. But I remember when um, my grandma was passing and I was sitting with her in the hospital and she was getting close and I started asking, I was a U.S. history teacher, and so I started asking her about her life. And I was like, what was the Great Depression like? And she started telling me these incredible stories that she just never shared, and I'd never asked, more importantly. And so it was really one of the most you know, meaningful conversations I ever had. But it also was almost jarring to think, like, why did I never think to ask my grandma these questions? Do a lot of students and educators, as, as this happens, I mean, do you think there's kind of a, a learning process, or do you think it just is a nat- kind of natural once you get into it? Well, there are two things that come to mind. So many people haven't been asked. High-profile folks, maybe retired professors, or people who really gained visibility in their field, they've been interviewed, perhaps, or they've been the subject of an article. But my feeling is that everyone has a story to mm-hmm. tell. Every teacher has multiple stories to tell. So one thing that's come out of this is that I've realized many people never have been asked and that the interview feels, the other thing is that the interview feels like a way of validating experience and saying, you're a teacher. That's an important job. We're going to be teachers. We want to learn all that you have to teach us. And just that exchange just the asking someone for an interview Mm -hmm. is a really powerful experience what we've been doing is after small groups of students interview a teacher then we come back together and debrief and I've just asked the question who here has never been interviewed before and a lot of hands go up among the interviewees and what was it like and they're just kind of beaming like I had a chance to talk about myself, and we realize how rarely that happens. You know, teachers get a lot of opportunities to talk and be on stage, so to speak, but it's with their students and outside of their classroom. How much is the light really shined on them, you know, uh, as a community member, as someone who is a really valuable part of so many lives? So it's neat to see the college students hearing 
from these other adults that this is the first time they've been interviewed and that mm -hmm. it was a positive experience. Yeah, it is. It's like very humanizing that right. someone wants to hear your voice. So tell us a little bit more about how the project's going that you're working on. What, what have you guys been doing? How many interviews you've collected? Have you faced yeah. any challenges? And, mm -hmm. and what, what kind of opportunities have come up because of it? Yeah, so we started with um, interviewing the Armstrong teachers. And they're a group each year. There's a new cohort of exemplary teachers across the state of Indiana, and they come to Indiana University to give panel discussions to the undergraduates and, and grad students. And then they also team up with faculty to work with in classes. And so it started with interviewing the Armstrong teachers. Um, a second branch of the project then was last spring. We, through the Harmony Meyer Institute for Democracy and Equity in Education, brought together about 15 leaders in the community and retired faculty, again, to have the undergraduate students interview them. And so this is what I think of sort of as the elders mm -hmm. <laughs> branch mm -hmm. of the project. Along those lines, in order to make it multi-generational, which is one of the goals of the archive, I asked the Armstrong teachers, now that they had been interviewed, to identify one of their mentors mm -hmm. and to track that person down and ask that person for an interview. Um, we haven't accomplished that yet, but it's out there and it's hopefully it's potential that might come to fruition this year with this group of Armstrong teachers. We've also highlighted the Community of Teachers program, which is a long-running alternative route to getting one's teaching license mm -hmm. here in the School of Education, and that whole program is based on democracy and being student-driven, and it's a program that we want to hear about as well, so we're including that in the archive. Another branch of the project is to interview the Fulbright teachers who come to Indiana University fall, and so this year... The undergrads interviewed, I think, uh, 12 people from all different countries. And so this is lending an international flavor to our archive, cool. learning how education and schooling works in just so many different countries. I was just thinking about how important the process is here, right? Mm -hmm. There's a value inherently in conducting these interviews for the interviewer for the piece of person being interviewed kind of reminded me like Jackson Pollock, right? It's like the process is just as important as the end result. When you do have these, the, the kind of end result, the outcome, the recordings of them, I mean, what, what's the hope of, of what you'll do with them? Who would potentially listen to them? Yeah, so within the Inspire Living Learning Center, which is, these are the students who are conducting the interviews, who we've worked with to try to train them and some um, good practices with interviewing. They have a website and on their website, there's a tab for Voices in Time. And currently, last year's Armstrong teacher interviews are there, along with pictures and um, short bios on each teacher. And so what we have is the entire full-length interview that you can click on and listen to. And then I edited down sort of a highlight, one-minute highlight clip for each of those, I think it was eight teachers last year. And now we just have a whole bunch of other interviews we've collected that are somewhere in the editing process. And mm -hmm. our hope is to create a website where it will be, it's a project of the School of Education here at Indiana University. So 
that people passing through the website can see that we have this commitment to collecting stories and that education matters and that learning from others is a struggle of mm-hmm. ours. I think the ultimate plan is to have its own website and to try to make it accessible to all kinds of people, anyone mm-hmm. who's maybe thinking about going into education in these times, there might be a lot of deterrence, but if we can put this positive, exciting perspective that like all these different people from all over the world have had so many good experiences in education and actually really feel like they are having an impact, then I think that's an important message to mm-hmm. reinforce right now. What advice would you have for other people that want to do projects similar to this, whether it's pertaining to how you actually conduct the interviews to what what do you need to do to make something like this happen? Yeah, preparation is extremely important. So the time that I've had with the students in the Inspire seminar has been limited, and I always wish I had more time. But in the time we have had, we've listened to examples of um, well-edited pieces. We've talked about the importance of listening, and I think that is something that's kind of lacking in our day-to-day life in general. So that alone Mm -hmm. is an important goal. And to really emphasize that up front, that you have to be cultivating that skill of listening if you want to do this kind of work. Because the interviewing, there's a certain kind of listening that has to happen while you're interviewing someone in order to create the appropriate follow-up question to really promote a conversation and to get a good result. But then in the editing process, you have to be listening for the crux of their story and possibly linking together. Mm. And so listening is a huge part of it, and preparing students to do that can take many different forms. There's also the technical side, like let's get prepared and anticipate what sort of obstacles might come up. (laughs) There are always tech problems that come up. Yeah. (laughs) Have have a backup plan. Yeah, so we try to work through all those things. And I do think, I mean, that's that's sort of fun to try to troubleshoot before it even happens. And they practice on each other. Last year, we participated in the Great Thanksgiving Listen through StoryCorps, which has Mm -hmm. been an inspiration for this project, our nationwide audio archive, uh, oral history archive. Mm -hmm. And so they, they practiced on their own family members, elders and their family, trying to collect stories and come up with powerful questions mm-hmm. or questions that will elicit deep answers, answers that tell a story. So those are some of our goals and that's the kind of prep work that we did. That's awesome. Um, and I just see so many implications. First being listening is such an important skill for teachers, obviously to convey to students, but here really hearing your students is a good skill. Maybe this would help mm-hmm. with that. But then just so many applications for possibilities of students in you know history classes interviewing people from the community family members about historical events and endless possibilities i feel like for for using this type of format well thanks so much for sharing a little bit about the the work you're doing um, i think we learned a lot you're welcome thank you so i did that interview in person michael which is a little different i usually have a buffer of about a thousand miles from you that's a guess I'm sure it's more than a thousand miles I don't know how far is it from Denton Texas to I've never did the mileage are you in Burlington no I'm in Belmont Uh, well sure the mileage is similar (laughs) yeah yeah I'm sure it's not too so so what did you think of the topic 
It was interesting. And I think I came across the same thing that you did about, you know, with your grandmother in how like you wish that you had more time to ask questions. I feel like that's something that when my father passed, I was looking through all these pictures of him and with my grandparents. And I realized there was so much that I didn't know that I lost. And I had these images, but I didn't have the stories behind them. And so I, I started telling my students, like talk to your grandparents with a with a recorder and just ask them questions and have them write on the back of every single picture who's in it and what's going on because that's one of the things that I, I spend uh, hours on every now and then trying to figure out who you know these people were. We spend so much time you know addressing the the history content we're required to teach and we obviously have an interest in that. We kind of forget sometimes the purpose of history, right? Is to um, understand kind of where we came from, who we are, where we're going. And our, yeah. fa- our family histories can help us do that as much as anything. And yet we sometimes leave them out. Yeah, that's very true. And yeah, I, you know, every so often people ask me, you know, where do you want to go in a time travel machine? And, you know, I think it'd be kind of fun to, you know, hang out with the Declaration of Independence. But I would like to have a conversation with my dad and just ask him questions, get those answers that you didn't know. And so, yeah. So basically Field of Dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah have one last catch. Want to play, yeah. Baseball with your dad and ghosts. <laughs> That's right. I think one of the things I thought about was the whole listening and, and asking questions. And I was talking with one of my uh, colleagues, uh, Todd Whitten. Uh, he does a, a, an interview thing where they talk about, you know, they interview someone, they talk about their, their lives as someone older in their life. Students don't often ask follow-up questions. Like they'll have their questions, but they don't chase the stories because just because, you know, you have this question written down, if there's something that they say, you know, you should follow up on because that's interesting to really get the fuller story. And I was thinking about ways to do that. You know, I listened to uh, Fresh Air with Terry Gross, who's one of the best interviewers ever. To get students in the mindset, I would want students to, like listen to an episode and try to figure out which questions that she pre-planned and which questions that she thought up on the spot as just a way to like show how important listening is in, in interviewing. So this way you don't miss out on those great stories. And by the way, uh, that's a skill teachers need to work on, too. Closely listening to what students are saying to understand their thinking, follow-up questions. It's a critical skill. You know, honestly, let's go ahead and just apply that being a critical skill to every facet of life, pretty much. (laughs) Listening. Just, like, listen to people, ask good questions. (laughs) Seems like a good skill. So It was a really great podcast. I really enjoyed visiting them out in Indiana and learning a lot about what they're doing. It certainly gave me a lot of ideas. So we're all about sharing <laughs> the learning at the do you wanna do you wanna do no, it? No, no, you can do it. We should keep this in. <laughs> Weird. We usually lead into this. We're all about sharing the learning at the Visions of Education podcast. We're all about sharing Tweet the learning. At, sharing the learning. Tweet us at Visions of Ed if you're doing something creative in education. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher. SoundCloud, Google Play. Wherever you want to listen to podcasts, we will be there. And if we're not there, let us know. We'll totally get there. Actually, just we're really limited to the ones I named. But um, <laughs> <laughs> if, And if you write us a five-star review, we'll read it on the air. Only five-star reviews are welcome. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast signing off. Bye.